Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran jazz pianist, composer, and educator Frank Kembro. He spent his childhood in Roxboro, North Carolina, a very small town, then would move on to Chapel Hill, then Washington, D.C., and that all culminated to his current home of New York City since 1981, when you could actually afford to live there. He's played and learned from the best, like Herbie Nichols, and he spoke about his newest 2016 album called Solstice, and it's a great listen, and he is very happy about it. He's a big name in jazz and has been recognized by Downbeat consistently as one of the best on his instrument, and he plays all over the place. These days, he teaches at Juilliard, and he has some great stories, so dig this interview, my friends. Hey, Frank, thanks again for taking a minute out. I appreciate it. No, no problem at all. And I'm going to go ahead and start off here. I know you're pretty clear about activity that's going on in your life, but in your own words, give me a snapshot of what's going on with your music lately. Well, there's the, you know, there's the there's the trio record that uh that comes out on November 25th. And um that week I'll be playing at the Jazz Standard uh with the Maria Schneider Orchestra all week, Tuesday through Sunday. We'll have Thursday off for Thanksgiving, but we'll be there all week uh, with that group. Um last night I played at the Stone with um with Marty Ehrlich, Ron Horton, Mark Momas, Mike Serene and Dean Johnson playing the music of Andrew Hill. Uh mostly the music that he wrote for his sextet uh back in the in the first decade of this millennium. And um, tomorrow night I'm playing a, um, uh, a sort of a, a, a tribute of sorts to the pianist Don Friedman who passed last uh, last summer. And so I'm going to be playing playing at the Catano in New York. And the, the theme for the night is remembering Don Friedman. So uh, we're doing we're doing that. And then the, uh, Sunday, I'm playing uh, a memorial for uh, Connie Carruthers that's being held at Roulette. So you know things are pretty busy. Uh, some of the occasions are, you know, they're a little sad because we're we're losing so many uh, great great musicians. Um, but uh, you know, things 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 are busy, and I'm also teaching at Juilliard. I'm still there. I've been there for this is my ninth year. Wonderful. Uh, full time there, so I'm I'm fairly busy there, and uh, you know, just doing doing what we do. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about this latest album with your trio, Solstice. Give me an idea yeah. of of what what went into this album. How do you feel about it now in the afterglow of it? Well. You know, I've made a lot of records, and you know, one's records are sort of like one's children. You know, you don't you don't, you don't necessarily uh, pick a favorite because they're all yours, and, and you know, you made them all. But uh, I th- I think um, I think that I think that this might might be the the record of, of all the records I've made. Perhaps this is the one that I'm most pleased with. Uh, uh, part of it is the material that that we chose, um, and part of it's just it was uh, you know it was it, sometimes the stars just align. Um, I have a sort of a maybe a, a slightly unorthodox way of working in that I don't rehearse. I never rehearse. 
um, this music, I just I picked out the music in the week leading up to the session. And I, I never choose, you know, if, 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 if we're making a record, I'm not going to say, well, these are the nine tunes that we're going to do. I'll, I'll choose maybe 15 tunes. Uh, more than I more than I need, and and then no rehearsal, and I just make sure that uh, that the music where music is read is clear, and very little discussion, very I mean almost none at all. Jay and I have been playing together, well, and actually Jeff too. I've been playing with them for 20 years now, off and on in various contexts. Jay is a Maria Schneider's group, so we, 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 you know, we play together in that context and in other contexts as well. And uh, you know, I've played with Jeff Hirschfield for probably about twenty years too. Uh, I don't think I've never made a record with Jay and Jeff, but their association goes back twenty, thirty years as well. You know, they were sort of a house rhythm section. Uh, for a while, for the Steeplechase record label based in Denmark, and uh, their producer would come over, and th- their recording sessions would be very spontaneous, usually little or no rehearsal, and you know they'd make a record in five hours. And uh, oftentimes those those guys would come in and they'd make twelve records in a week. Yeah, that kind of thing. You know, the guy would come over from Denmark, and they would. They would do maybe two or sometimes three sessions a day. Yeah. And so they're very good at being very present, you know. And so that's and that's the way we play. We don't, you know, we, we're, we're listening to each other uh, a lot. And, and so the music that I brought in that day, um, coincidentally, I, I didn't think about it ahead of time. But five of the nine tunes on the record were written by women. Hmm. And I don't know how many records you could, you know, I don't know how many records you could say that about. Right. Um, the one is by my wife, Marianne DeProfetis, and actually I was in bed the night before the record date, uh, looking over the music, making sure I had enough copies of everything and making sure that everything was clear. And she brought a tune in. She just put it in my hand and said, "Well, you know, if you guys have time, maybe you want to do this one." And so we sight read it on, you know, at the session the next day, and the the first take was the take, and right on. that's the, that's the title tune of the record as well. Beautiful. So uh, I think seven of the nine tunes on the record were first takes. We hadn't played. Almost all the music was new to us, you know. To maybe not so much to me, but to Jeff and and to Jay, and um, you know, we just kind of set them up and knocked them down. And 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 the way I think about playing music is uh, the first take is is the one that's going to have the most. uh, It's the most intense because everybody's listening. You haven't played the song before, so everybody's senses are sort of heightened. And, um, you know, you know that there's a chance for a second take, but you don't want to do that. So, you, you know, you, you're, you're, you're playing and it's, and it's real and it's, um, it's immediate 
and it's spontaneous and you know we don't talk about well you play the first solo on this one or I'm going to play two choruses and then you know this is going to happen we don't talk about any of that stuff or even how the tune is supposed to go at all we're just playing yeah and 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 that for me is is a reason to get up in the morning you know because that's for me the only way to make music really right on now if you're playing in a, if you're playing in a big band you can't do that right because right, you've got right. 18 people to deal with but but in a trio especially one like this where you know we're familiar with each other's playing we know each other's aesthetic and what we're about and you know we don't it's not like we even see each other socially that much outside of the playing environment uh you know i called jeff hirschfield for instance he's on the road a lot and busy and, and i called him and said yeah you know we can do this record and we didn't really talk about anything and then you know he's walking east from ninth avenue or and I'm walking west from 8th Avenue, and we met right under the awning of the studio and went in. It's just that kind of that kind of thing, you know. It's yeah. a conversation, and it's... Um, one thing about this record, I think, that that makes it slightly different from, from my other ones, and, and again, you know, you go in and make the music, and then... And then the backstory appears after the music is made because you don't you don't go into a session to do a certain kind of session. You go into a session to play music, and then you put it all together at the end, and you, you look at what you have, and, and you think, "Wow, there's 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 five tunes here by you know composed by women," or in this case, too. This is a very beautiful record. It's the, the 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 concept, if you will, was, you know, we set up in the same room. There's no headphones. We're playing to each other in the in the room, just like we're playing in the living room at home. And and nothing was forced, and nothing was arranged, and nothing was talked about. So it's it's. I think it's really fresh, and I think it's. You know the, the 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 interaction between us is is palpable. You know it's 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 very real and it's beautiful. And um, it's it's it. I don't know. I'm, I'm very pleased with the record. You know. I, I'm yeah. Very pleased with it. Absolutely. Well, let, let me go back in time here a little bit and and figure sure. out how did a, how did a guy from Roxborough, North Carolina, grow up to become such a veteran and a big shot in the jazz world. Well, yeah, I guess that's... I don't know if I'm a big shot, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I do enjoy being in New York, and I feel very fortunate um, that my phone rings. Um, <laughs> you know, I came from a town of 5,000 people in North Carolina, a very small town. Uh, growing up, if I wanted to buy a book, if I wanted to see a movie if I wanted to buy a record I had to drive 30 miles there was nothing there and it remains so um, my mother was a piano teacher her mother was a piano teacher they both taught at home I think you know I don't even remember a time in my life that I didn't play so I started playing very very early on maybe age three something like that 
And, uh, you know, my mom was was uh, involved very heavily with the local church. And so, you know, any time the church doors were open, she would be there. And then, of course, I had to be there, too. And uh, so I heard a lot of music, choir practices, things like that. She taught piano at home. So did my grandmother. So, you know, people would walk in the door and they'd sit down at the piano and play. So I, I guess I, I kind of joke around that I thought everybody did it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just around, you know, it was just around me, but not jazz. It was more church music or classical music. Or, you know, I heard country, western music on the radio or R&B, you know, top 40 stuff. Jazz, I didn't really come into contact with until I was a teenager, and I saw Bill Evans' trio on TV one night, quite by accident. Just, you know, you turn on the TV and there's Bill Evans. Um, and it took a couple of years, I think, for that even to manifest, you know. Yeah. Because I was listening to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. I was a kid, you know, in the 60s and early 70s. And so I was listening to a lot of that stuff and, and playing in, in little rock bands and stuff, you know, with my friends and taking classical piano lessons. I didn't. I knew that I wasn't going to be a classical pianist. I had no desire for that. Um and I'd play with my friends and, you know, in our little rock bands and stuff. And I didn't quite get what I needed from either one of those things. And then there was this spontaneous yet disciplined music that I all of a sudden realized that, that you know, this was something that, that maybe would would be interesting. So I started you know, listening to that music. And then I went to college, and I went to college very interested in jazz. Unfortunately, my teachers weren't. So they, uh, at one point, I, I went into a jury with uh, a Bill Evans transcription and a couple of Chick Corea transcriptions, and in addition to my classical stuff that I was working on, the teachers, uh, my teachers didn't really like that, so they gave me an F in piano. Mm. So um, that 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 started me looking for, you know, for alternatives. Huh. And the alternative was to quit school. Uh, so I, I never got a degree. And I, um, you know, moved around a little bit. I, I, I ended up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, formed my first trio there when I was 22. 122 and then moved to DC a couple of years later and then an opportunity came to move to New York so this bass player and drummer and me just threw all our stuff in a van one day and came to New York and and at that time you could you could live here you know with without um you know without a six figure income yeah. um I think our rent was $260 a month split three ways. That was 35 years ago. Wow. And, and, and you know, it was tough, but, but, but we got by. And uh, I tell my students that the, the first 12 years here were the hardest. And uh, in, a, in about 1992, um, I, I formed, helped form the Jazz Composers Collective with Ben Allison and Ted Nash and Ron Horton and some other people, and and was invited to join Maria's band about six months later in March of 93. And, you know, here it is 
almost 24 years later, I'm still playing with Maria, I'm still playing with Ben, I'm still playing with Ron, I'm still playing with Ted. So these uh, these associations that we that we made twenty um, some years ago have held, you know, and then you add to your collection of friends and associates, and and so um, you know I feel very lucky to be a, to be a part of of the of the scene here in New York, and. Uh, it's been very gratifying. I, I, I love it. I love being busy here. I don't. I don't feel like I need to travel so much, especially with the teaching gig at Juilliard. So, at this point, um, my mo is to go where invited. Right on. Right? Um, yeah. No, 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 no. I was just going to ask you. You know, you've dedicated your life to jazz. You've you've obviously been around. You've recorded twenty plus albums. Let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz? Well, because it represents democracy and freedom. Really, that's the bottom line. Um, you know, we all grow up, uh, you know, those of us who play, we grow up, there's a discipline involved, certainly, you know. and then, But then what are you going to do with that? I don't want to play the same thing every night. If, if, my mentor, one of my main mentors was, was Paul Blake great pianist who passed away early this year and you know paul paul instilled a lot of things in me or or at least confirmed i would say confirmed a lot of things that i was maybe already wondering about and thinking but one of those things is if you know what's going to happen at the gig you may as well stay home mm -hmm. there's you know if you know what's going to happen so the idea is uh, you know to go and to be open and to, and to be listening to the other musicians so that you can contribute. In other words, the gig is there. You have the best seat in the house on the bandstand, and you're also invited to play. Yeah. So what better situation could you have? Um, you know, the idea of going out and playing a show is absolutely anathema to me. It's, it's, I have no, no desire for that. If there's no surprises in, in the evening uh, of music, then there's no music for me. Yeah. Um, so that's really what it's about. And it's about giving everybody having an equal voice. And it's about um, having the freedom to, you know, to exercise that voice in a way that, where everyone's sort of getting along and, and you know, harmonizing together. Let me ask you this. Of all the fans you've played for over the years, what's one of the nicest things that anybody has said to you about your music? Well, you know, and, and this is something that I, that, I, that I try to impress upon my students, is that any gig that we, that we do, Playing, playing, you know, for for an audience, or in fact, any recording that you make, uh, you, you, we usually are not aware of it, but we have the power to actually change people's lives. Um, you know, it's not about fame, and it's not about ego, and it's not about any of that stuff. It's it, it's really about the power of, of communication and. Um, like, for instance, 
a couple of things that made me realize what music is really for is, uh, you know, getting a call from from a woman I know who's, who told me um, that she had just given birth to her first son and that uh, she had taken my recording into the birthing room to give her comfort in that, you know, pretty fairly painful time. Or for somebody who uh, is listening to my music as they lie dying. Mm. You know, that, that music can can heal or that music can provide solace or that music can provide, you know, comfort or, or, or inspiration or any of that. Yeah, those are the those are the things that I think um, really let us know what the music is is for, and and also how important it is to people. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you this: you know, everyone has a version of who you are: your family, your friends, your students, those that you play music for. But who do you think you are when you wake up and face the world? Who do you think you are? Uh. I could quote Dewey Redman. Dewey Redman was one of my heroes, the great tenor saxophone player, and I had the pleasure of playing with him the last year and a half he was with us. And he used to say, uh, you know, I'm just a country boy trying to make it in the big city. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, you know, it, there's really some truth to that. You know, I'm, I, I'm teaching at Juilliard. I'm, I'm working with immensely gifted young people and it's very humbling you know to work with kids that you know maybe they don't have a lot of depth in their playing yet or maybe they don't have a lot of experience yet but they're they're immensely gifted and and you know that reminds me of where I was at that you know at their point in life where they are now and I look at where I was then and I didn't know anything um, it's it, it, it's humbling you know and living in a city like New York where you know one out of 25 people on the street is a musician there's 300,000 of us in this city not yeah. all playing jazz but you know there's a lot of musicians here yeah. I run into it's like Perlman in the elevator at school I, I, I you know I Linton Marsalis is my boss, and 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 uh, you know we run into incredible, talented people. Some of whom are very well known. Some of who some of whom you'll you'll never hear of ever. Uh, and a lot of that a lot of that's that that thing that name recognition and and stuff is, you know, you can buy that, or 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 sometimes you can't buy it. You know, it's it's uh, it's a very mysterious kind of thing. Uh, you know, there are people right now practicing in basements that'll that nobody will ever hear of. Yeah. And why why is that? You know, so I feel I feel very lucky that you know that that I have had the opportunities that I've had. I'm very grateful. Well, Frank, thank you for opening up about your career. Thank you for opening up about your newest album. Good luck with it. And I appreciate Thank your time you so and much, all the music. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I hope you and your audience will enjoy the music. 
Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, North Carolina, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Frank for his music and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.